0: Find Love at First Drive and start shopping now
1: at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Snap the Cooper. Looking down the field. He's got a man. Caught it. He's free. Phil y'all jobson at the 10! At the four! Touchdown! 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 Are you serious? Jacksonville State with no time left. I just the said, keep everything in front of you. The I Gamecocks have taken the lead and will win this ballgame.
0: 20-17. All right, there you go. What happens when Jacksonville State heads down to Tallahassee and the Seminoles decide to just play single safety on an essentially a Hail Mary sort of thing? Oh, man, what a great finish, though. Dan Wetzel here with uh, Pat Forty, Pete Thamel. Welcome to the pod. Welcome to the pod. Sully
2: threw me off with the with the, the live start, but it's good. <laughs> you're gonna stay on brand, Dan. Like Sully, you know are gonna start drinking magic. like some like you know, co- cloud candy IPA. Like stick okay. with the
0: formula, it's working. We're gonna get to the FSU meltdown, amongst many other meltdowns for a podcast that that traffics in negativity, humiliation, and failure. <laughs> <laughs> There's a
1: lot of material to work with. Saturday damn, was it's an all-you-can-eat all
2: buffet.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the Golden Corral is Battle. Florida State <laughs> provides yet again. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Wild day. Let's start with this, though. The big game of the day. Oregon Ducks walk into the horseshoe and defeat the Ohio State Buckeyes. Biggest victory for the Pac-12 since Oregon uh, defeated Florida State in the uh, inaugural college football playoff, which I believe is seven years ago. Yep. The thing to me is there's no fluke to this. There's no. no, if only there wasn't that pick six. If only this. They manhandled Ohio State, beat them at the point of attack. Buckeye defensive line did nothing. They outsmarted them, outplayed them. It was a sound victory. Ducks are a better team. The scoreboard showed it. That is what was most impressive to me. That, and Pete predicted Anthony Brown would be a great quarterback before the season. You should have been listening to the offseason podcast. He did. He told us this Urban Meyer story. Urban Meyer saying, who the hell's that guy? Yeah. yeah. And who comes back and beats Urban's old program? Amazing story. <laughs> anyway, Pete, give us the details from the shoe, which I uh, I have been at the shoe for those rare losses. And, man, oh. not sure there's a sadder place in, a, in the world. <laughs> in college football and when they got to shuffle 110,000 They're not out of there. used to walking out of there. No. they are not used to walking out of there with an L. And it's just huge and it's always gray and the the you know the stadium is not like a cheery stadium. It's I love that place. <laughs> My favorite college football stadium, but it is an old war memorial type place though. So. Pete, what was it
2: like? I was there when Baker Mayfield planted the flag in 2017. So um, yeah, and that was the last time they lost. I think it was 23 straight that they had won there. And it's funny, you look back to 2017, what do you remember about that game? You remember Baker Mayfield just playing his tail off and then planting the flag after. This game, I think years from now, I will remember the coordinator mismatch. Joe Moorhead just had his way. They beat him on a 99-yard drive, 10 plays. They beat him with a 77-yard run up the middle. They beat him to the edge, Over. And over. They put the ball where the Buckeyes weren't, and they did it time and time again. And very early on in the game, I, I, I tweeted uh, Joe Moorhead greater than Kerry Combs, and that was just amplified series after series after series. Big third downs, they figured out a way to convert it, but there was nothing fluky about it. Oregon's offensive line. Had a great push all afternoon. There were plenty of uh, there were plenty of holes for the for the ducks to run in. They found production from the tight end. They found production from their receivers. C.J. Verdell had a had a wonderful game. Anthony Brown, look, he's not going to be a first round pick. He's probably not going to be an NFL draft pick. But he did not make a single glaring mistake all day. And to go into a cauldron of hundred thousand people and push the right button every single time. This is a, a sign of that would worry me if I was an Ohio State fan, and I had this in my column on Yahoo Saturday Night. They threw the ball... 35 times and ran at 38. And I might have those numbers mixed up, but they did, there were 70 something plays. And then there were no sacks in one run for negative one. And I think it was actually JTT from, uh, from Seattle who was the, the high recruit. He was the two, four, seven number one recruit in the country. He was number seven nationally in rivals. He picked in July and it was a big deal. We talked about on the pod. I think he was the one who actually had that TFL coming off the, uh, coming off the edge. But if you want to talk about a defense that there were no surprises, there was, there was no flex. And, and I think the ultimate consensus is of Kerry Combs' defense, the sum was not even close to being greater than the parts. They have good parts. Now, it's not maybe parts they've had in the past. Their D-tackles are average. Their linebackers are inexperienced. Josh Proctor, the safety, got injured. They're still going to be thin in the secondary from that. But I really feel like Ryan Day is now going to be at a crossroads on what to do with his defense. He faced this crossroads last year after they gave up 52 to Alabama and he decided to rearrange deck chairs. I'm not saying he's going to fire Kerry Combs this week or anything drastic's going to change. Paul Rhodes is on that staff, but from this point on, the defense and Kerry Combs' tenure are on notice unless there's precipitous and distinct change.
1: Yeah, that was, I mean, that was the eye-opener there, and the stat that I unearthed as I was looking through it when I was writing our SI top 10. It's like, when is the last time Iowa State, or I'm sorry, Ohio State has given up 118 points in its last three games. 52 to Alabama in the championship game, which was an all-time great offense. Okay. But then 31 to Minnesota and then 35 to Oregon. And the answer is 1891. Their second (laughs) year ever playing football. That's the only other time Ohio State's defense has given up 118 points in a three game stretch. And As Pete, as you just uh, alluded to, there was no disruption of what Oregon wanted to do at any point in time. Couldn't get to the quarterback. Couldn't blow up the line of scrimmage. Couldn't take the ball away. It was a a remarkably passive, I thought confused at times, uh, performance by them. And all credit, as you said, to Joe Moorhead and to Oregon for executing the heck out of the game plan and having a good game plan. But my gosh, Ohio State, with all those star recruits, where are they on on the defensive side of the ball? I I mean, you've got to have some guys that make some plays. You know, Zach Harrison made the big play against uh, Minnesota with the strip that ended up being a touchdown, and they just, they had nobody do anything like that in this game. And and Dan, to your original point, this was so no-fluky. I mean, here were Oregon scoring drives, 99 yards, 10 plays, 65 yards, 7 plays. 84 yards, three plays. That was the one big run there. And that was, you know, maybe there was a a an assignment bust that allowed that to happen. But still, seven plays, seventy-five yards, six plays, seventy-four yards. They did they took five. They took ten. They took fifteen. They took whatever they want, wanted wherever they wanted to take it and just pushed it down Ohio State's throat. And, yeah, if you're Kerry Combs at a place like Ohio State right now, I'm, yes, I'm sure they're not going to fire you. And Tulsa and Akron are up next, and those will be get-well games for you. But you better get well because that defense ain't cutting it. That's not a playoff defense. That's not a maybe even win-the-Big Ten championship sort of defense.
0: Yeah, other than there, there was a spot in the end of the third quarter where Moorhead went away from running the ball. You know, I thought they had basically almost the perfect game plan. A couple stats. I mean, obviously, C.J. Verdell, 161 yards and two TDs. This number was amazing to me, this stat. I've never seen this. Uh, They had 10 Oregon Ducks caught passes, at least one pass, and it's literally one pass for six of them. Verdell caught, he catches three, nine other guys catch two or one. Every guy except Troy Franklin, I'll put it this way, every guy averaged at least 9.5 yards per reception. That is astounding. Yeah. Yeah. Every single guy other Troy Troy Franklin went two receptions for 19 yards. Everyone else their average 10, 11, 14, 15, 16, 13, 5, 14, 30, 16, I mean, they're spreading around and getting big plays on every single pass. And then they're running and 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 Verdell averages 8.1 yards per carry. Uh, Anthony Brown 10 for 65, 6.5, Travis Dye 8. Eight carries 43, 5.4, and a touchdown. Are you kidding me? Like if you're if your worst running back is going to average 5.4 yards a carry and every single pass is going to go at least 9, like 9.5 or more, you're not losing. Incredible. Look, this was a, obviously a show of force for Oregon. We knew they were coming. They've been recruiting while well. they've been playing better under Mario Cristobal. There was a thought that next year was the year. Kind of the buzz I had thought, and it'd get to next year. Oregon could be a legitimate national title contender. We'll see where this is going to go. I don't know whether they're going to win it this year, but they're a legit national title contender. If you can walk into the horseshoe and beat Ohio State that soundly, you can beat anybody. Will you? I don't know. But you can beat anybody. They have built that program up to a point they have got a ton of talent and they can spread it around. It isn't one guy. It isn't this, that, or the other. They're missing five starters on defense, including probably their two best defenders. Yeah incredible performance by the ducks and i think you have to take a different look we'll see how they do but it sets oregon up into a different stratosphere at this point or potentially in a different stratosphere of who we look at as the truly elite programs in the country this could be the one we look back and go oh yeah they were for real now they're now they're a legit national title contender this was this was the sign
2: Yeah, a lot of credit to Mario Cristobal. They've recruited very well out there. I mean, Kayvon Thibodeau did not play. He may be the number one pick in the draft. He's that classic, modern, explosive edge rusher. Think like Dwight Freeney that type of, that type of guy. And Pat tweeted this during the game. And I certainly thought it, I mean, as Ohio state's trying to come back and they're dropping back to pass over and over and over and over. And she's, she's, play pretty well. There was no cave on Thibodeau to worry about coming off the end and strip sacking, you know, like chase young used to be in that position for Ohio state two, three years ago. And he could just wreck a game with one pass rush. And then Justin flow was one of the best recruits on the West coast last year. He ended up, I believe, enrolling early. He had 14 tackles against Fresno only because somebody else was hurt. Mathis, one of the other linebackers. So Mario has brought the talent level way up in Eugene. And it's fair to say, and I would not have thought this before the season, but it's fair to say that Oregon is a legit playoff contender. You can put them in that sort of playoff blue blood mix, that grouping that we all have kind of gotten a little bit tired of, right? Uh, And one of the reasons why they're expanding the playoff. Well, Oregon – surges ahead and kind of changes everything. I think they change the the balance of power. They shift the axis of the sport. They open the West Coast back up to relevancy, a place it really hasn't been since November of 19 when Oregon lost at Arizona State. And I actually remember watching that game in Columbus because remember that set up the Pac-12 title game where Utah had a chance to go in if they won, but Oregon beat Utah. And then last year was just a big old, bucket of average for the Pac-12, to put it nicely, now pushing forward. Remember, Oregon lost to Washington last year, but last year was just... The, the the further we get into this season, the less relevant last season's results you know bear on what we think of this season. It's almost like you we need to wash our brain of 2020, and really now that we have two, and in some cases, three weeks of sample sizes, really focus on what we have from them and not be biased by any perceptions we had of teams coming into the year. Because especially teams like Washington that played four games or, you know, these teams we we really didn't get to know all that well. So all credit to Crystal Ball. You know, he told me walking off the field, this is why I took the job. This thing's a goal. You know, essentially I'm paraphrasing this thing's a gold mine. And he said, we've stacked good classes. And that's the sign of when you lose a cave on Thibodeau, your position group isn't bankrupt. When you lose a backup star like Justin Flo, you find guys to come and, uh, and, and fill in. So, it's look college football is a better place when the ducks are relevant, right? Like it's fun when, when Oregon is there, it's fun when the West coast is involved. It's fun when it's not predictable. I mean, we all thought the Buckeyes were going to win by 21, especially once the Thibodeau news came and the flow news came. I, I didn't think they had much of a chance. So all the credit in the world to the program Mario crystal ball has built in Oregon. Cause that was a true program. win.
1: Yeah. That's what, as you said there too, I think, Everybody who has been complaining about same old, same old in college football, well, we just saw same old, same old just got its butt beat. And, (laughs) you know, Clemson's already lost the game. And while that's to Georgia, it's still Clemson. The three teams that never go away, two of the three of them have lost a game and we're two weeks into the season. So that certainly adds intrigue. And for Oregon's perspective, from looking at the playoff chase, The one thing you have now got in your back pocket is a win that may hold up to be as good as anything anybody else does all year. You know, when it's time to compare. Okay, how are all the teams that are undefeated? Well, only one of them went into the horseshoe and won. You know, maybe uh, an SEC victory ends up measuring up to that somewhere along the line. But right now, that's, I mean, that is a whole card to have at your disposal. We'll see how the rest of the Pac-12 Shapes up. It was a very mixed bag for them over the weekend after a bad bag the week before, for the most part. But there's no doubt that Oregon and by extension the Pac-12 is much more relevant uh, now after Saturday than it has been in quite some time. So quickly, we'll get back to the Pac-12, but it also
0: gives Oregon in case it gets down. Let's say they do stumble, they have the they can box out Ohio State. Yep. You know, if Ohio State runs the table, they not, they not only need they need Oregon to to be. In for sure. And that's a problem. And I'm just going to go through both of these schedules. But Ohio State does not have a lot laying in front of them. I know it's early. They play Tulsa. They play Akron. They're at Rutgers. They got Maryland at Indiana. Penn State comes to visit. That is currently their only ranked team as we speak. I don't know if Michigan sneaks in the pe- the rankings or not this week, but we'll see. At Nebraska, Purdue, Michigan State, and at Michigan. That's their lineup. So they don't have Iowa. Now they'd play them in the Pac- big 10 championship game or Wisconsin, but those, those teams aren't the, the Iowa Wisconsin are not on the, on the schedule. And that's where you could pick up more signature victories. So it's a long way to go, but you're not just sitting there going, Oh, well there'll be three, four more ranked teams that Ohio state will automatically prove their way back. There isn't a ton on that table. We'll see what some of these teams do. Michigan could be very good. Who knows? Michigan state could be pretty good. Yeah. But, you know, Indiana's falling off and, and it's just it's not it's not a killer schedule. So uh, they almost could use Iowa to, to run the tape. We're going to get to Iowa, too. Don't worry. Conversely, if you're Oregon, like just win, baby. And, yeah. and there isn't a whole lot there in the way. Stony Brook, Arizona at Stanford. Uh, we'll get to that. Who knows what Stanford team shows up? Cal, they get the huge game at UCLA. Uh, they probably would play the Bruins twice. Uh, you know, that could be a possible rematch. Colorado at Washington, Washington. I mean, Utah just lost to BYU, Oregon State. Neither of these have this gauntlet that you might have in the in the SEC. So that benefits Oregon right now. Doesn't help Ohio State now because they just don't have that rope up the ladder. But we get to one more. Let's get to the Pac-12 game. Uh, the other one that stood out. Stanford looked dreadful against Kansas State, losing 24-7, walks into the Coliseum, and houses USC 42 28 runs all over them. Domination sends all the people home early. Ugly, ugly loss for Clay Helton. And the question immediately becomes, what's up with the USC program? Uh, obviously, this is not a this is a conference game. It's not a non conference, but USC came in ranked 14th and you know looked absolutely horrible. What is up with USC? And would the Trojans dump
2: Helton early? Well, when you raise the would they dump him early question, you have to ask that question and ask who would they replace him with on the staff. Todd Orlando is an excellent defensive coordinator. He does not emanate head coach vibes. He is a steel jaw Pittsburgh guy. I don't, know. I, don't, I don't think they care about this season. Well, they didn't care when they played name the interim before. and They ended up with Clay Helton as their coach for five I, years. So, <laughs> I mean, that's their problem. <laughs> And then you have Graham Harrell, who the blame in USC is increasingly pointing towards him. They failed time and time again in the red zone last night. That offense just doesn't look like it is suited towards USC's talent. I was a little taken back by how little talent they had at receiver. It's USC. They had a ton of talent at receiver last year, a little bit vacant there. But really, the the place that USC stood out to me was both lines. I felt like both of their lines got mauled. Now, Stanford has had some wonderful lines on both sides of the ball the past you know, decade under David Shaw. The Kansas State game certainly didn't show that Stanford had some all-time good line, right? I mean, they got, they got ragdolled by a middle-of-the-road Big 12 team at a neutral site game in their first game. So I think USC right now is a five-alarm fire, and Helton has to do something drastic to pull it out Dan, you and I talked about this off the air today. The reason why you would fire him early, as you pointed out, is that you don't want to give him the the runway to come back in, you know, in a bad Pac-12. I don't believe Oregon is on USC's regular season schedule this year. Is that right? They're not. No. You know, and then Notre Dame is eminently vulnerable, as uh, the Toledo Rockets showed us or, or showed the dozens and dozens who found Peacock, um, on Saturday. So if you feel like now Mike Bone and his new regime have had two full years to kind of get a, okay, this will be their second full year to say, okay, this is what Clay Helton is. Now we all know this is exactly what Clay Helton was. And Lynn Swan, every, every USC loss, I just point back to Lynn Swan, who was probably the most incompetent collegiate administrator of our lifetime? I mean, he was like a special breed of a poor administrator. He not only ran Clay Halton's deal out way longer than it should have been, not only guaranteed, obviously, a large portion of it, or at least how that contract is assumed to be, but he, he basically, you know, gave him a saban like contract for middling results. And the problem when the new regime came in at USC was that there would have just been so much money to have to have been paid to Clay Helton. So after this season, Clay Helton still has two full years left on his deal, which would likely put the buyout in the neighborhood of the $10 million range, since we, you know, considering what we know of his private contract that we've seen so far of the public numbers that have emerged via tax documents. And so. Along with the federal investigations that that Swan had uh, swirling in his department, there, I mean, that contract is just viewed within the industry as you know it's Weissian in in the way it was weighted against the uh, <laughs> against the school and and given them uh, given the payoff. So my instinct is this: that when Mike Bone got there, he basically said, "I don't know enough about this place to fire and hire a coach." Like there was like a little bit of patience there. This wasn't your ready, fire, aim, like big 12 instinct like we've seen in some other places. This was like, I'm going to want to figure out the problems and then find a solution. The the problems, again, are evident. I do think a solution will come. I don't think like we're gonna see a September October firing. But we will have like a lot of pods of names for USC and who would be the best fit there. Like, I mean, that's like that is right now with Michigan seemingly a little bit stabilized under Jim Harbaugh. And give him credit. Like the staff shakeup has at least given them an adrenaline jolt to beat a bad team and a mediocre team. USC it's the it's the same old shenanigans once again. And the, the one thing that USC has working against and is that's a pro market. They will turn on you quick and not show up. Now they still may buy the tickets and have the season tickets, but they have no problem not fighting traffic and going to the Coliseum on a Saturday if the team stinks.
1: If the fans want to get mad at Graham Harrell, that's fine. But let's let's stop finding a coordinator scapegoats at USC and blame the head coach. He's done a bad job and he keeps getting the I mean, the fact that this is his seventh year, he's the luckiest coach in modern college history because he kept getting these benefits of the doubt. As you said, Lynn Swan made some very bad decisions about what to do with him. Mike Bones steps in, the situation's bad, but he's not in position to make that change and pull the trigger there. Then there's a pandemic. So it's like, oh, another year, another year, another year. Well, now there's no more years, man. Get rid of the guy. If if this season keeps going the way it's been it's started here. Stanford was terrible against Kansas State. Averaged 4.5 yards per play against USC 7.1. 39 rushing yards against Kansas State, 141 against USC. They went up and down the field and did whatever the heck they wanted with a a team that was absolutely horrible the week before. So there are no more excuses. There's nothing left for Clay Helton to hide behind, except the only thing is a big turnaround here. And if there's not, if you... If you go and you lose to Washington State, or you lose to Colorado, or you lose to Utah, and you get to that bye week before Notre Dame, and you're worried about Clay Helton pulling the rabbit out of the hat, don't let him move the hat, hide the hat, fire Clay Helton. That's what I would say. That's the risk you run. Again, a lot of winnable games.
0: SC's got the talent to do it, but I mean, how long do you keep giving this guy a chance? All right, other results in the Pac-12 because the Oregon victory overshadows a lot, and, and as it should, but. Washington shows up at uh, at, at Michigan it just gets completely shut down again on 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 offense they lose 31 to 10. I like the Michigan defense I said that all all along but this is not an eventful offense uh, BYU wins the holy War over Utah Colorado puts up a nice fight against a credit to them but in the end they lose. Not really going to put that on uh, as a as a big negative of a, of a result. It's probably a positive of anything. Pac twelve still got a lot to prove on this. I don't know what you take from the Utah BYU game. is a great game, but Washington is clearly in as much trouble as uh, as we thought. They get Arkansas State next week, and I'm not sure what the line should be on that. Don't, Watch out, Butch Jones like, is coming,
2: baby. I know. Oh, one quick thing:
0: Michigan <laughs> is brick ranked by brick, Sully. Michigan is twenty fifth. They are ranked. I did look at the, okay. new AP. the AP poll came out right as we're taping this thing. So there you go. It's a loss to a ranked team. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that Washington, Michigan mauled them. I mean, Michigan beat them defensively. and They just ran the ball. Classic, like old school football. You can't stop our run. We're going to keep running. Like we don't need to throw the ball. You can't. You cannot block and tackle us. You Can't shed our blocks. Can't tackle us. So. You got 110,000 screaming at you, we're going to run this game and be done in like two and a half hours.
1: Washington, 128th out of 130 in yards per carry rushing, 1.95. The only schools that are worse right now are Bowling Green and Louisiana Monroe. Uh, John Donovan, offensive coordinator on very thin ice, I would think, at Washington. Maybe not as thin. Obviously, it cracked on Ivan Jasper. The, the, the off, we had our first offensive coordinator firing at Navy.
2: Uh, but John Donovan ain't too far behind. Yeah, to be fair on the pod, we fired John Donovan before he coached a game in 2020 and then we refired him after last year before this season started. So, uh, yes, listeners to the pod will know that we're uh we're we're, we're always quick on the hook. Pat also called uh Ed Orger on Gene Chizik 2.0 about 90 seconds after he won the national <laughs> title. So, yeah. uh, we're not afraid to uh to pull a quick uh to pull a quick hook, but I think Dan when you step back and look at the West Coast right now, like at the baseline, there's like a relevancy and a little bit of juice. And, and Oregon has provided that to some. I give Carl Durrell a lot of credit. Remember, that guy took over like basically 10 minutes before the pandemic. Got Colorado back to like baseline functional and relevant. And it looked like Texas A&M is exponentially more talented than Colorado. Durrell is like a, you know, cagey old coach. Spent a lot of time in the NFL and has has done a really good job pushing that program forward. I think when he was hired, everyone went, What? More than like, oh, that's like a, a solid veteran coach hire who can who can move us uh, who can move us along. So I will say this: one of the things I enjoyed, I met George Klavkoff for the first time in the press box of of Ohio State in Oregon, and he. There's a little bit of a cocksure way about him. Look, we've all dealt with these athletic directors and these commissioners, and many of them are prone to cliche. They're conservative. They have their masters are the. Like 12 college presidents, Uh, there's an old line amongst ADs that like 12 college presidents just look like the scene from the Star Wars bar, right? Because you've got, you know, you've got a sociologist and a doctor and a flanter. Like you've just got all this different collection of people. So these commissioners have these like weird jobs. And Klevkov is like not really worried. He's like, yeah, we might take some schools. Everyone's like panics and screams. And he's just kind of like, yeah, no big deal. So we're in the front row of the uh, press box. There's about two minutes left in the game. And he was down at a in a suite on the opposite end, and he made it a point to walk by the row where the national media was, and he actually tapped me on the shoulder and he said, uh, "Enjoying the alliance so far, guys?" And then walked out. And the uh, he and Kevin Warren drove up to uh, drove up to Ann Arbor and uh, caught the night game. But I did think that was a uh, that was just not something that you would see a, a normal collegiate commissioner do. There's a little bit of a cocksure. In his step, and I appreciate that. There's too many boring administrators in college sports, so thankfully we have an interesting one.
0: Wait, they drove? They didn't fly it on a little private? I was
1: say, did they really drive? Oh,
2: they, nope. drove, they drove. They got a van. there was a customized a van. van? I was told. They, there's like a van with like tables and stuff like that. Uh, all, right, all right. Kerry Kenny from the Big Ten explained it to me. Yeah, like I don't think they were in like the mid sized Corolla rental okay. you know, that I so. got, but yeah. Was there like a stripper
0: yes. pole in there or anything like that? Like, <laughs>
2: I, I I thought it would be like one of those Mercedes Sprinter deals, but right. they, I think they were going to leave early. And George clearly got to beat the traffic. Um,
0: I mean, how are you getting out of Columbus? Well, yeah,
2: yes, no, and that's a, the shoe can be uh, the so shoe can. It's be a, a place, very exciting uh, drive between Columbus and Ann Arbor. It's very oh. if you like corn. <laughs> yes, I've made that drive from Columbus to Toledo a bunch of times over the years. So that is a dismal drive with no cell service too. I could take any drive. I don't care what it looks like if you have cell service. No cell service is tough.
0: Hawkeyes have now defeated Indiana, and they walk into Ames, and uh, their defense dominates the children of the Corn Classic. 27-17. Cyclone fans are just waking up now from their bushlight-inspired three-day hangover. <laughs> Great scene in Ames. We appreciate you, but yeah, no. Iowa has two of the best wins. They force Brock Purdy into three. Uh, picks. They got defense. I mean, this thing is, this is Iowa. This is, this is Iowa, the capital I, this team, they won the game averaging 2.9 yards per play. (laughs) They won by double digits. They had 173 total yards. They converted only four third downs. They had 11 first downs the whole game. They only ran 60 plays. This game should have been could have been broadcast in black and white. <laughs> they averaged 1.7 yards per rush. Iowa is the best crap team I've ever seen. <laughs> Can they, can they, I'm going to get to Iowa State because I have a scandal involving Iowa State. I have a scandal. Oh, yes.
2: You do. No, you've been doing yeah. some Some of your finer work. investigative work, Dan. Yes. I have yeah. a scandal, yeah, and I'm going to get to it. Watch their back. Yeah,
0: I've been chapped for about this for about 72 hours since I, I uncovered this scandal that I'm going to break on this podcast in moments <laughs> and why I it, it may be irreparable harm between me and Iowa State. But <laughs> let's give the credit to the Hawkeyes. Can they make the playoff with this offense? And, I mean, I think they should be ranked like third in the country right
1: now, even with this offense. Pat? They're number two in the SI poll because, hey, they've played two ranked teams. Maybe they shouldn't have been ranked what they were, but they played two ranked teams and they've won handily twice. But everything you said, all those stats that you threw out there, well, why I picked Iowa State because that was Iowa's offense against Indiana too. They did nothing. They had two pick six touchdowns. They had one long run. Otherwise, they did nothing. Here we are, two and zero. You win one game by twenty five points. You win the other by by ten at Ames in the biggest game Ames has ever had. And it's this is like Kirk Ferentz tour de force here. It reminds <laughs> me of their twenty their twenty fifteen team. Remember their 2015 team would just kind of muddle its way to undefeated, you know, and all of a sudden we're like, my God, can we really let Iowa in the playoff? And (laughs) unfortunately, Michigan State stopped that travesty. But but you look at this team, it's the same damn thing. You're going to make the mistakes, not us. We're gonna punt. We're gonna play defense. We'll take the ball away, and when we do take it away, we're gonna score. And we're just gonna watch. If you are Iowa State, we're gonna watch you absolutely throw up all over your shoes in the biggest game you, you've ever had in your stadium. Good job by the Seahawks or Cyclones there. But well, let me know, quick I, interject one more stat. Okay. Iowa's punt their
0: average punt fifty one point one yards. <laughs> <laughs> See, <laughs> punt to win, baby. <laughs> How do we win? Well, we, we have a punter going half a field every time. Yeah. That's, that is so Kirk Ferentz, it hurts. I mean. they has got some kid. There's this, always just some strong-legged kid from, like, Mason City. Just bomb. He grew up <laughs> on a <laughs> dairy farm 40 miles north of Mason City. He had to, he had to go in <laughs> so he didn't have to play six-on-six football. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Just kick, I just kick balls over the barn. If you remember the 2015 team, it was Shakespearean because it was felled by a 22 play drive. Yeah, it was, yes, it was. that's clearly yes. the out of the Brett Bealman would call it the borderline erotic yeah. collection <laughs> of Iowa football. And I think Brett, uh, I think Brett went to Iowa if, if I'm right. Um, he did. Yeah, I'm he Sorry, I too. have to
1: interject real quick though, Dan, and deflate your whole Mason City fantasy. They're punters from Australia. Oh, there we go. The Australians. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I feel like they're all from Australia. What the hell's going on
0: in Mason City? Get your
2: crap together. (laughs)
0: Grandpa taught me to get the ball and kick it hard every time.
2: (laughs) Well, I think Iowa State has won what we should now refer to as the uh, the 2021 Mac Brown Award. They won the offseason, right? Like, and it did not go unnoticed from talking to the people on the Iowa staff this week that Iowa State won the offseason. Now, Iowa had won five consecutive games against Iowa State. So it doesn't take much to get that crew uh, in Iowa City irked a little bit. Certainly all the attention on Matt Campbell and all the attention on Brees Hall and Brock Purdy and the feel-good play of the sport. And they're sitting at Iowa. They're like, OK, these are our last eight game. Michigan State. At Minnesota, 35-7. At Penn State, they won by 20. They beat Nebraska at home, not by a lot. They blew out Illinois on the road. They thumped Wisconsin 28-7. And then, obviously, what they did to Indiana. Like, Iowa non-Alabama division is is on a good of a run as anyone in the sport right now. So I appreciate Pat ranking and where they did. I am uh, I am all in on this Iowa team until they are proven otherwise. And look, they are, they are a point-of-attack program. We've talked about this, Michigan State under D'Antonio. We've talked about this with Stanford, different times under David Shaw. Right now, I was beating everybody at the point-of-attack. Obviously, the rushing yards don't quite reflect that. But until someone rises and shows they can compete with them at the point-of-attack, I, I think there's uh, I think there's bright things ahead for this uh, f- for this Iowa team, and it's it's kind of fun to have uh, to have Captain Kirk uh, rolling and rolling. Gray skies ahead. They don't want
0: sunshine. That's true. <laughs> this this <laughs> offense is more Midwestern than that wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald song that Jim Harbaugh <laughs> likes. All right, I'm getting to the scandal. I can't wait. All right. We have championed the Hooray for I Am" song. Play it, Sully. Play it. Go ahead. All right. We have championed this song. We've talked about the the 20-minute the or less commute to work, the number nine city in the USA per CNN money, whatever the hell that is. We've championed their – their. Uh, they have a restaurant on Main Street if you're hungry, and we have certainly championed all of the great award-winning water that supposedly comes out of the taps <laughs> and Ames. But I did a little research on the people that are in the video. In the video. And I am just d- disturbed. Because remember, I wanted to see whether Jesse and Shannon Hostetner were still still married. After, after Jesse looked like a hostage in the video. And guess what? They are. But they moved to Georgia. The two of them moved. They said Ames is the greatest. And they moved. And not just them. Matt Ellenwood moved to Baltimore. He was at the choir in Des Moines. No, he's not anymore. And Malika Jeffries L., who was the big Cyclone fan, moved to Boston to work for Boston University. It's a lie. Hooray, Ames is a lie. They sleep on a bed of lies. They all moved. You guys were doomed. That's
1: why. You were dead. Your own people won't even stay there. There it is. Dan Wetzel just tearing down the curtain. I'm angry. In front of the great hooray for Ames fraud. My childhood
2: was a lie. There is no magic in Hilton anymore. No. It's all over. That water must suck. Also, probably not even any good. <laughs> the the listener who tweeted us that he uh, they get his twins to go to sleep at night by playing <laughs> them the Hooray for Ames song. <laughs> <laughs> of all the tweets we've gotten, that was one. That was one. Where I was like, whoa. <laughs> it's like, yeah, guy guy sent
0: that in from Indiana. Thanks for helping yeah, us that's... out on the pod for by like, teaching me yeah. the aim song. So, okay.
1: but that's where we, we've actually performed a public service for maybe the first time. Wow. Don't believe the actors in the video. Don't believe the actors in the video. They all took off.
2: I know.
0: So great they left. (laughs)
2: <laughs> I, I will say this. I told Dan this on the phone today, Pat. That like uh, they, we have a lot of listeners in the Ohio State press box. A bunch of people came up to me. Uh, some familiar faces, and some some faces I didn't know. So it's always good to hear that we do bring joy with our <laughs> with our dark humor and negativity to uh, to others. So it was good to uh, you know we haven't been out in press boxes obviously in in, in a long time. So it's good to get some uh, good to get some feedback and know we're we're uh, we're helping people on their commutes and their runs and all that stuff, walking their dog and everything. So that was uh, that was a fun part of my uh, a very fun day columbus on saturday
0: all right let's get to the the play of the day though some reason there was a cat hanging from the (laughs) hanging florida cat from a wire inside hard rock stadium at the miami game a cat you've all seen the video the cat was looked like it was gonna gonna fall some alert alert hurricane fans uh, it, it get this American flag they brought since so September 11th, I assume, and use it as the cat finally falls to break the cat's fall and save the cat. And the place goes wild. What the hell was a cat doing at the football game, Pat? <laughs> and was that well, the greatest catch you've ever seen? I mean, I was. Pr- then the cat starts urinating everywhere on everybody because yeah, the poor course. cat
1: scared scared to death. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Cat was nearly not nearly just scared to death. The cat was nearly dead. I mean, (laughs) falling from up there. I know cats tend to fall well, like they land on their feet. But that was a bit much. Now, I mean, see some down in Miami now. (laughs) Exactly. That's why you know suicidal cats are not. I'm just glad the cat wasn't eaten. You know, I mean, the 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 cat was saved and the cat was not eaten by the people that caught him. So that was good. Do we Uh, know that? Well, we don't know that for sure. We just we know the cat at least was not devoured on the spot. Uh, But. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know how it got in the upper deck. I mean, I guess, you know, can climb the concourse or whatever. I was talking to my son Mitchell about this earlier today. I mean, like, you talk to people that run stadiums, and, and there are a lot of animals that get into stadiums. Raccoons, mice, uh, cats, stray cats. You know, there, there's food and there's shelter usually that can be found there. So, but gets in the upper deck, and then how does it get out to the precipice hanging over the lower deck? What What exactly happened there? And then how did that somehow become the most interesting thing in the Miami versus Appalachian State game? Oh well, that that I guess speaks for itself. But oh, incredible job. On. You could
0: get the greatest Super Bowl of all time and that would be the most interesting thing. Like
1: <laughs> very true. Very true. Not every day I mean, you see a cat hanging from a wire. No, it's not. And I I mean great job whoever got the video. You know what? I mean, or else we don't even know about it. <laughs>
2: Well, Dan may not get the Pod Pulitzer for the week for his uh, Ames investigation of the Hooray song because David Wilson of the Miami Herald went and found the people that caught the cat. Oh, okay. Yes, the uh the, the Cromers of uh, Miami fans, Craig Cromer and his wife Kimberly, doing God's work. Uh, we want to give them credit. And uh, David Wilson and the Miami Herald caught up to them. One small detail that should not be lost on the pod is that uh, they stood there for about two or three minutes. While So they bring an American flag to every game. Craig ripped it from the zip ties to try to catch the cat. And uh, they stood there for about two or three minutes while Craig, while the cat peed on the fans below. It seemed like it took forever, Craig said. Eventually, the cat lost its grip and tumbled down toward the sweet level. The Craig's flag did just enough to break the fall and let a group of students in the section below grab it as it fell to the ground. This, Craig said, is my first catch. So, (laughs) Had no experience. Uh, Got to throw that true freshman in on it. Yes, and classic distraction, it happened right by the Miami play-by-play booth, and uh, Joe Zagaki from WQAM, I guess, provided play-by-play on the air, which is definitely, for Miami fans, better than anything that happened on the field because they almost lost to App State. Uh, So, yes, props to all involved, saving the cat, chronicling the cat. You are pod heroes forever.
0: All right, we'll get get to one more here before we get to Texas. Uh, This is a great story. Grambling played uh, at Southern Miss down at Hattiesburg on uh, on Saturday. Uh, Golden Eagles, 37-0. Southern Miss wins. Uh, a tweet goes out that they had to block a tunnel at one point into a section because uh, they were told a woman was giving birth. Now, uh, she's giving birth at the Grambling Southern Miss game. Now, it turns out uh, she did not actually give birth. It was later confirmed uh, at the stadium. Uh, she got to the hospital uh, in Hattiesburg and and had the birth. We hear mom and baby are doing fine, which is great. Question yes. I have. <laughs> A lot of questions. If birth is even remotely imminent or possible. <laughs> Did you just feel like I'm going to risk it because there's no way I can miss the grambling Southern Miss game? <laughs>
1: That's the thing. I mean, I mean I, on the list of missable <laughs> games, that ranks pretty high. Pretty high for like, if I've got a stomach ache, it maybe it ranks pretty high. You know, much <laughs> less I'm about to have a baby. So I am astounded that this person attended <laughs> this game. I mean, maybe they are the world's most diehard Southern Miss fan, and they just weren't going to miss. But holy moly! What were you doing there? If a
0: dad, if the expectant dad went to the Grambling Southern Miss game and was like, my wife is like, do any minute. People would be like, what are you doing, dude? Okay. You need to be there so you don't miss the birth of the child. That would be bad enough. It's Grambling Southern Miss. This is not LSU Bama a couple years ago. But if you're the woman... And I mean, I understand I'm putting a heavier burden on the gender,
1: but you're the one carrying this thing around, man. You're the one that's got to have the baby, possibly in the alcove at the Rock, <laughs> MM Robert Stadium. <laughs> there's plenty I'm of room. Kidding. At least there's plenty of like it's not it's not
0: tight corners. We're not selling out that stadium for that game. Was it like I got free tickets? I don't want to.
2: I don't want to blow them. I mean, what? So Southern Miss coach Will Hall got his first career victory in the game, and he needs to immediately offer that child a scholarship, all right? <laughs> yeah. That child needs to get a scholarship. Uh, yeah. I, I don't care if it's a kicker, a holder, a left tackle, uh, what shape, size, gender that child is. That child needs to have a full scholarship offer from Southern Miss. Absolutely. Yeah, that's your,
1: your best fans you've ever had. If they're willing to go well on the verge of giving birth, but they, they, they got it, like, nicknamed the kid Rocky, right? Because they call the stadium The Rock. Yeah, The
2: Rock. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, or gosh. Favre,
1: maybe name him Fa- Fa- him or her Favre.
0: I don't know. Yeah. That is, the. I mean, wow. That is not a place I want to have a baby. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I'm sure there have been many babies conceived inside the bleachers of the Southern Miss football stadium.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Brett Favre was there now. Yeah, <laughs> But let's not give any birth. Let's keep it together, people. We appreciate the enthusiasm for this sport. <laughs> how, about, how about you just sitting there trying to enjoy the game and this woman's giving birth? I mean, that would ruin my game experience.
1: I think so. I think so. Like, ah,
0: they really need to see that. <laughs> All right. Speaking of more than they signed up for. Hey, Texas, are you worried yet? I'm telling you, you're going to regret this. Yeah. Uh-huh. I'm so glad we're blowing up college football to take care of the Texas Longhorns so they can go to the SEC uh, when they're already losing to not good SEC teams. They march up to Fayetteville. We underestimated the fighting Sam Pittmans, even though we're huge fighting Sam Pittman fans. They trounce Texas, manhandle them. Uh, huge win for Arkansas. I said I said this last week. The, there's almost nothing Arkansas can do more important than than being able to recruit Texas well as a program. And there's nothing better to help you recruit Texas than beating Texas. But this is a dreadful loss for for the Longhorns. And it just goes to the same bit where we're like, we got this mediocre program and they're trying to basically construct it so it can't fail, so it can be too big to fail. And we're blowing up leagues and changing everything because Texas thinks they can be better in the SEC. And they're going to face a schedule full of this. Arkansas is better than a lot. Arkansas is not a good SEC program. Hasn't been in a while. Better than most of the Big 12 programs that you normally feast on. Thoughts on this and Steve
2: Sarkeesian, that's a that's a, that's a tough loss. I know he's in his first year. The job Steve Sarkeesian has and the job Steve Sarkeesian took are drastically different jobs right now because of this conference choice. And... I wonder if you gave Sark some truth serum, if he would tell you, I would not have taken the Texas job if it wasn't the SEC, because they had a ways to go to win the Big 12. Now, they weren't drastically far away. They were fairly close last season to even playing in the Big 12 title game. I think they lost to Iowa State by three, which precluded them to go. But they played, I think Tom Ehrman lost to TCU by 17 his first year. I think he lost 24 to seven. And then from that point on, they did not get blown out of any games. They were they – he lost too many close games, quite frankly. That's one of the reasons he got fired. Uh, his game management was second-guessed in a bunch of different – including that Iowa State game. It's interesting now that you get a glimpse of what you need to become from one of the lower rungs of the SEC, and you are way, way behind. Texas is not a place that's going to give you time and patience to catch up right? Like that is not the Texas DNA. They, they're already like, you know, sicking their teeth into what coordinators need to go and looking on rivals to see what, what assistant coaches aren't rec- are carrying their weight in recruiting. That is a tough, tough job in the sec and only made tougher if the departure date is 2024. And we've said this a few times in the pod and I want to accent it now. If you do have to spend The next three seasons after this one in the Big 12, it's one of the worst recruiting pitches you can ever send because your recruiting pitch is going to be, hey, come play in this league we're trying to ditch that's clearly inferior. And then maybe you can go play one year in the good league. Like that is not something that's an easy message to convey. So I was chuckling to myself watching the game last night being like, oh, the Texas Boosters are all there in the suites passing the hat to get the $80 million so they can get the heck out of the Big 12 and at least have a coherent recruiting pitch going forward. But this Texas program, that's a crossroads game now because they have a long way to go catch up if they're going to be SEC fit for 2025. It To me, it was just... Completely hilarious.
1: I, I mean this was this was
2: <laughs> this was forget st- all that analysis <laughs> I just <laughs> laughed.
1: <laughs> it's like this most hubristic cocky for no reason living on your past laurels insufferable braggart comes swaggering into your stadium where and you're the 10th best program in the SEC and you absolutely beat them stem to stern. You slap them in the face for four hours and send them packing. After they, you know, blow up the entire landscape to come into your conference because they're, by God, Texas, and they can do what they want, and we can make money. Oh, boy, okay, that's great. You can make money. You can also still lose a whole bunch. And for them to get just absolutely throttled, it was an absolute wake-up call, should be for everyone in the program, Sarkeesian, Chris Del Conte, all the fans and all the players, once again, we're still too pretty, We're too pretty and too full of ourselves to compete down and dirty because that's what this this was a trench beating. This was just we're gonna run it at you, We're gonna pound you, We're gonna get after your quarterback, We're gonna hit Bijan Robinson, you know, we're gonna do whatever we want to do and just methodically thump the hell out of you pretty boys. So we'll come on in. Come on in whenever you want to come in, and you can t- maybe you can be the 11th best team in the SEC when you're here. Congratulations, Texas. They can get there
0: and be good, but it's never going to be quite as easy. Different ball game. Uh, you're going to have to change the way you do things. They hand out a Heisman at the end of the year. We like to hand one out every single week. This is our small sample Heisman. Hello,
2: record book. Hello, small sample Heisman. How about that?
1: I am going to hand out the Heisman to actually to a combination, the, the, the pass and catch combination of Zarek Cooper and DeMond Philia Johnson for Jacksonville State on their 59 yard ridiculous bomb touchdown to beat Florida State because it salvaged one of the worst 92nd drill offenses I've ever seen in my life. And so you really have to thank and and congratulate Florida State for playing this so spectacularly terribly to make it all possible. Because here's how this went this went down. Jacksonville State gets the ball on their own 17 with a minute 32 left. They took a minute and 26 to go 24 yards. They were doing nothing and they were not doing it well. And they were had just totally blown this thing to the point where it's just, okay, all we can do now is chuck it and pray. And their prayers were answered because Florida State covered that in the most nonsensical fashion I have ever seen for what was clearly going to be the last play of the game. And you don't have anybody back to defend the goal line. You don't, I mean, it was just astounding. So congratulations for Zarek Cooper and Damond Philyaw Johnson for taking advantage of the ineptitude of Florida State and winning my small sample Heisman. I like how Pat's small sample Heisman turns into
0: a rip job.
2: That's right. Yes, it's very surprising that, that uh, <laughs> you know, faithful listeners would not expect that from Pat. Um, I am going to go to Ann Arbor for my small sample Heisman. I was blown away by watching Blake Corum run the ball for Michigan. And look, Washington has its issues, but like at least should have under Jimmy Lake, an old defensive guy, a reasonable defense. Blake Corum blasted. Washington. He had 21 carries. He had 171 yards, three touchdowns. He ran for 67, and he gave the Michigan offense a breath of life, an adrenaline shot. They were actually interesting to watch. So I give Blake Corm all the credit in the world, and I will give him my small sample Heisman this week.
0: All right. I'm going to hand out my small sample Heisman to Jaron Hall, quarterback of the BYU Cougars. Heck of a week for BYU. They get membership into the uh, Big 12 Conference, which they've been angling for for a very long time. And then they end a nine-game losing streak to Utah in the Holy War, winning 26-17. They led, or Utah never led. Hall had 149 yards and three touchdowns through the air, 92 yards rushing, played very well, held off the Utes late. A terrific week, a terrific win for BYU. Congratulations to Jared and all his teammates. We have eaten, we've said many, many mean things on this podcast this week, as we always do. The, here is the challenge for us. Can we say something nice? I don't know. I earlier cussed out a community uh, band in Ames for lying to me. <laughs> So I don't know if I'm in the mood to be nice. Uh, Pat Forty just used his Heisman pick to uh, Pete. You're the nice guy this week. You got anything nice to wow. say? Wow!
2: Wow! You fired I half am... the
0: coordinators in America.
2: This isn't going to end well, I don't think. But whatever. I am going to say something nice about Vanderbilt's Clark Lee. In a uh, late-night contest in Fort Collins, Colorado, Vanderbilt outslogged the Rams 24-21 to 21 to deliver Clark Lee his first career coaching victory. Considering how Vanderbilt played in its opener against East Tennessee, it could be a minute to it gets the second one. So I'm going to say something nice and give them credit for figuring out a way to come back and win the battle of teams that lost to FCS teams this year. Congrats, Coach Lee, on victory number one.
1: Could be uh, till 2022 when Colorado State wins again, but uh, that's a whole other issue. Uh, I'm going to say something nice about. And I, maybe I should have flip flopped this. Maybe I should should have given this guy my small sample Heisman. But whatever, Anthony Richardson for now, the backup quarterback at Florida. We'll see how long he stays in that role because this guy's got some Cam Newton to him, some Tim Tebow, big athletic strong-armed guy, and when they get him on the field, amazing things happen. So far this year, two games, Florida Atlantic, South Florida, 11 carries for 275 yards. He's averaging 25 yards a carry. And then when he throws the ball, oh, he was three for three for 152, averaged 50 yards of completion against South Florida. This guy's really intriguing And Alabama comes to Gainesville this week. How much does Anthony Richardson factor into both Dan Mullen's game plan and Nick Saban's defensive planning? All right. I'm going to say something nice about
0: Coastal Carolina, who uh, beat up on Kansas for the second straight year uh, this weekend, 49-22. And and I know it's Kansas, but still, uh, this is a Sun Belt team, Coastal Carolina. They're ranked... They're 2-0. They're ranked 16th in the country right now. Uh, The most amazing thing about this, it didn't even make any noise. Like, Coastal Carolina just housing a Power 5 school, 49-22, is just like ho-hum. Racked up 460 total yards. They had a block kick for a touchdown. Uh, Jamie Chadwell, uh, they went 11-0 in the regular season last year. Uh, they're 2-0 right now. Just a terrific football team and a terrific football program. It's got a huge donation to improve the uh, facilities down there. Uh, Coastal Carolina is absolutely rolling. You know what? I don't care if it's Kansas, and they're the best uh, Sunbelt team you've seen in a long time, and Kansas is one of the worst Big Big 12 teams. When those victories happen, it, it's significant. something significant happened. and uh, So good for Coastal Carolina and, uh, and Jamie Chadwell. For uh, keeping this ball rolling, going to still be a very, very interesting season for Coastal. Could they run it all the way? I don't know. They got UMass coming up in a couple weeks, so that's you know, I mean, that's <laughs> UMass played Boston College at home, and I think only twelve thousand people showed up. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> they got a, they got a, they actually got Boston College to show up at a game uh-huh. ninety minutes from Boston College. By the way, they didn't
1: all bring right. anybody. Wow. Please and it's not like the leaves aren't even turning in Massachusetts yet, right? I mean Oh, way, beautiful you
0: know. day. Beautiful day. Yeah. No. Oh, yeah. Say I had to get something negative in there. <laughs> couldn't <laughs> I couldn't do it? <laughs> I'm sure Boston was just overwhelmed with talk of the BCU mass game, right, Pete? No one was talking about, like Matt Jones or anything like that. Or... It was overwhelming, yeah. Cam who? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. We're gonna be back later in the week. Uh, with a regular pod on Tuesday and uh, we will be out Tuesday night and then uh, we'll have the race for the case late in the week. Uh, not as great a results but uh, I'm still in first place so everything's all good. Hey, we aren't the only podcast ramping up its betting coverage. Make sure to check out the all new Yahoo Sportsbook Daily. Comes to you from our own Minty Betts, Frank Schwab, Pam Maldonado, and Nick Bromberg. Check out the pod Monday through Friday year-round. Hey, create a bet MGM account. Place your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. That's right, risk-free. If your bet loses, you get your bet amount up to $1,000 added back to your account in free bets. That's it. Nice deal. Must be 21 or over in Arizona. Yeah, welcome to the party, Arizona. Colorado, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming only terms apply. Go to betmgm.com slash Yahoo, betmgm.com slash Yahoo to get started. Use the promo code Yahoo when making your first deposit. We will talk to you then.